0: episode 5 as we continue to casually saunter our way around the topic of dragon ball dragon ball z dragon ball super as long as it's got dragon ball in it it's all good right here up on the lookout On The Lookout is a Dragon Ball podcast that takes a laid-back perspective for the show, as well as adding some insights into some of our classic what-ifs and discussions, and of course, talking to some very interesting characters along the way from the community. And today's guest is pretty much one of the biggest contributors to some of our topics for videos. In fact, if you haven't heard of what is known as Kanzenshu you are missing out and I mean a lot. He is part of the admin team and founder of the website, uh, one of the co-founders even. That was once a Vegito tribute page, understandably so because Vegito is pretty cool, and also has one of the longest running podcasts in
1: the business. It's only Bloom and Vegito EX, aka Mike LeBrie. What's up Mike? hello mr simpson oh i am i'm am just beyond excited to be chatting with you uh, as we were saying before it's been far too long thank you so much i appreciate the opportunity
0: we are also of course joined by our classic sidekick Havoc. Hello, I'm the one guy on this podcast that doesn't uh, voice Goku. (laughs) 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 Both Haverock and I really uh, look up to Mike and his team for all of the research and stuff like that. And it's been really great to actually see Anime AJ joining your ranks. And incidentally, he actually only lives like 15 minutes away from me. so <laughs> That's like, so fun. <laughs> well, the first time we did meet each other was at, like, KameaCon. So it was like we went all the way to Irving, Texas to meet when we could have just gone, I could have just driven down the road. We have lots to talk about as well as just keeping things a little casual today. So if you are enjoying what you're hearing and have been for the last few weeks, do rate and review in your respective countries. I do get to see them now, so it's very much appreciated and it does help spread the word of the podcast. So with that, let's get things started. All right, Mike. So welcome to The Lookout. I do hope your journey up here was very, very stressless. I do hope Corin or Whiskers the Wonder Cat, depending on which dub is your poison, wasn't too much
1: of a bother. No, I think it's okay. Whatever that rule was about uh, not being allowed up here, they seem to have uh, suspended that for me.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, with Dende basically changing everything, so that means the Room of Spirit and Time has no consequence in it whatsoever.
1: Yeah, that's fine. I can, I can fly up. I can go train.
0: It's great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't have like that problem with Vegeta randomly catching on fire, like he did in Dragon <laughs> Ball Z. An iconic shot, but, you know... You know, Vegeta's in the, there sure is a lack of fire right now. It's been really a long time since we've actually talked, but I have been always listening on my drives down to see my folks, Zenshu, over the years. And something I really wanted to say, I really dug your episode about musical inspirations, like introducing me to the delights of YMO
1: oh nice yeah the, the, some of my favorite topics is you know we, we try to look for something on the outskirts of of the series of the fandom of the franchise. How does it connect in there? um you know what were some of those inspirations what we love talking about is not to take away from the the in universe discussions, but uh something I've always grown increasingly interested in as the years go on uh who are the people that made the franchise uh, what were they into? what were they inspired by? Uh, what were the reasons? for them doing the things they did that brought about Dragon Ball, whether that's Toriyama, whether that's Torishima, whether that's Koyama, whether that's Yamamuro. Um, Who are these people, first of all? And, um, you know, what makes that person um, who they are? Ever
0: since finding out that, like, you know, with that connection to Behind the Mask and Eric Clapton's version, I just feel like that connection, you just realize, dang, the fact that, you know, that seminal album from 1979 is just like, That was made in 79? It feels like more like 1987 or something like that, it's like way ahead of
1: its time. You could put it out today. It would feel modern. And you listen to that, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's everything I've heard in the 30 years after that. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll gladly like yeah, plug uh, the episode that you guys were talking about. But you were definitely right. And actually, really, it does convey the optimism of Japan at the time. Like, you know, it was rising up after World War II. I really strongly urge you all to listen to Yellow Magic Orchestra. You can find it on Spotify and all these different places, and especially with Castalia. It definitely sounds like something from Final Fantasy 4 or Final Fantasy 6. Like a Super Nintendo Final Fantasy game, that sounds like something you'd hear in that. Like the synth, perfect. You've now been like cataloging Dragon Ball and its kind of history almost for like two decades now. How does it feel to be looking back on that and just like seeing how far you've come and is there still so much to do? I hear about the legendary Wikia that you're
1: working <laughs> on. I'm old, I'm broken. (laughs) That's how I feel right now. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into the history, but uh, you mentioned it. Yeah, I I started my website in January 1998. I started as a links page and I expanded into, I had a little shrine to Vegito that was my favorite little corner of the website Uh, into Vegito EX's homepage. I wanted to do things like editorials and put up images. Uh, Editorials were like the podcast of the day, except they were written instead of spoken word. Uh, And and the, the site just expanded into Zenshu EX there. And then in 2012, we uh, performed a little bit of fusion into Zenshu, uh, And I've been working at this the whole time. Uh, if it's related to Dragon Ball, we cover it. Um, we have the standard episode guides, uh, manga chapter guides. Uh, we have a lot of curated guides on the site there as well. Uh, the Gods and Cosmos guide is one of my most uh, favorite recent ones. Uh, the Rumor Guide is a, a personal pet project, uh, one of my babies. I've been working on for many years, where we really try to dispel uh, some of the rumors out there with the franchise, um, you know, video games, characters, and I mean, the most <laughs> popular question: Did Toriyama forget lunch? Yes, he did. Well, no, actually, he didn't. But later, he did, and thought he did, and didn't. Uh, you know, all that stuff in there. Uh, I, I love doing the the in depth research. Um, we have. An incredible catalog of uh, archive material. I'm uh, I'm recording down here in my basement. I've converted this room here into I like to call it uh, Konzenshu East Coast Headquarters. I have multiple bookshelves full of uh, V Jump issues, different versions of the Dragon Ball manga, uh, Psycho Jump. Uh, the, these giant volumes are threatening to collapse and take me down with them at any moment. Now <laughs> I have bins of old Weekly Shonen Jump and fresh Jump. Uh, We truly do have uh, an archive here, and we we really strive to do the fact-checking, do the the actual legwork. So when we say, this is what's said here, we can say, yeah, this is absolutely what it said. And this is the page and and this is the release date for this magazine. Uh, and this is the context for its release. This is the historical context for what for what we're talking about. Uh, and I, I think that's incredibly important because anyone can say Goku is a scion and and yeah. Okay. But, but why? <laughs> you know, what what led up to that? What were the uh, the editorial decisions that led to that along the way? What were the slapped ass decisions by Toriyama that led to that along the way? Uh, that's what we're invested in. Uh, the story behind the story.
0: Again, a lot of our discussions with Hav and I, we've definitely really relied on your content. This is something that we really want to touch upon, but in some greater detail. So let's get ourselves over to the mini topic. So like we were just talking about, the mini topic is basically something that was really part of the core of the channel, and that is to do with Kanzenshu, basically me typing in Google and going like, Toriyama, Kanzenshu, is there a translation? And then initially back in the day when I was really starting out with all these discussions, going like, type, 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 type. Oh, well, that's sort of odd. <gasps> oh. Freezer based on land sharks from the domestic bubble in the early 1990s. Dang. Okay. Nice. I think it was this bit, the the huge drop with the full color mangas back in 2014. Yep. Yep. Toriyama just going like, oh, uh, yeah, the androids, uh, lapis lazuli. What? What? They actually have names? What, what? 2014 was a really, really intense year for backstory. Like, we thought Battle of Gods was, like, you know, intense. Like, so and Beerus just going, Oh, yeah, didn't you know there are actually um, other universes? You're not the only one? Wait, what? So- sorry, sorry, what? Uh, I- I'm sorry. Wait, hey, what? Th- it blew open the door, and Beerus just, well, you know, it's Beerus, he's quite casual because he likes destroying things. Then finding out about the identity of Goku's mother with Gine, That's just like, dang, you know, Dragon Ball Minus was a bit divisive, but it certainly had its moments there. But Mike, since you're our guest here over the years, what's been like the bit of Dragon Ball trivia or information that you uh, just made your eyes go like, wait, what?
1: I feel like the the thing that comes to mind and I, I kind of want to talk about these interviews a little bit is I, a lot of people don't necessarily know where they come from, what their purpose is. Uh, the, the thing that came to mind was Yamoshi, the the original uh, Super Saiyan of Legend, which uh, gave birth later to Super Saiyan God. Uh, I know a lot of people confused think Yamoshi was the original Super Saiyan God but to actually know he was the first Super Saiyan and then went out, his spirit out in search of Super Saiyan God. So a lot of these interviews come in things like you mentioned. So the the Dragon Ball manga got an entire re-release in Japan in color. They called it the Full Color Comics. Uh, In the back of those are a lot of little Toriyama interviews uh, or there'd be recaps of information then he'd get about three questions he'd um, be able to answer in there. There's also a magazine that Shueisha puts out in Japan. Right now, it's bi-monthly, has been for a few years, called Psycho Jump. Uh, there was an interview in there, the the Twelve Boo Mysteries. Uh, that, maybe I take back Yamoshi motion. I do that one instead about the No Boo has existed for all time. Actually, BBD didn't create him. <laughs> Love the the, the reconning of, of information there. Um, these interviews, a lot of people think of them as like, well, who's the interviewer, and and why don't they ask these more imp- important questions? Uh, these interviews views are not hard-hitting investigative journalism. These are all very, very purposeful and curated bits of uh, of what they want you to hear at that exact point in time. So you mentioned Gine earlier. It's really curious how we heard about Gine in Psycho Jump from Naho Oishi, who wrote an Episode of Bardock. And Toriyama, right ahead of the release of Jocko the Galactic Patrolman, the Collected Edition, which is where Dragon Ball Minus was published, which is where Gine comes from. These are all promotional pieces. They're not really interviews. They're all meant to promote something coming down the line going back to Psycho Jump, there's a there's a series of interviews about scouters and they happen to mention that there's the the tr- traditional types, but there's also the like the visor types that go across. And at the time, it was like, okay, that's that's an interesting piece of information. Who really cares about that? Then we come to see in Resurrection F um, was a Tagama that has that exact same kind of thing. And if you, you trace back when these things are said, they all seem to be either Shueisha saying, mention this because this is what we're releasing, or Or it's Toriyama is working on something at that point in time, and we don't know that he's doing that yet, and we're going to see it in a few months' time. And what I really like about the, the, the drop of Yamoshi is that we know that for whatever that movie in 2018 was going to be, they had a couple ideas. It wasn't that Toriyama said, I'm gonna do a Broly movie. It was actually that the editorial staff came and said, Here are these ideas. These are the ones we're thinking about doing. And I know myself and a lot of other people were convinced that movie was going to be <laughs> Goku versus Yamoshi or Yamoshi found him. Especially after the first trailer dropped. You feel like, oh, like Goku just comes up and then
0: just sees Yamoshi and say, well, oh, you're cool. I want to fight you, Son Goku. You are now the strongest Saiyan in this timeline. I wish to test my metal and strength against your present-day power.
1: Yeah, see if you're truly worthy of Super Saiyan God. Neat. well and it turns out that wasn't what that was however i'm fairly convinced on the cutting room floor one of those potential ideas was probably a yamoshi film that we just didn't get because they decided well let's do broly because of course we'll make our money on that like that's the obvious decision to do um so that's what i like to talk about with these interviews is that so we get dr garrow's son uh his back history there we get a little more back history on uh Crane Hermit. Some of that actually got adapted into Kakarot, the most recent game that we got a Gebo name for Dr. Garrow's son there. It was really weird playing that game because playing Kakarot was like reading the Consenshu translations archive in a video game. <laughs> it was super, super bizarre. Again, that's just what I like to talk about with these interviews. They're, they're not hard hitting investigative journalism. They are very, very purposeful in what they're telling you and when they're telling you stuff.
2: Also, we feel that Toriyama also is a troll. Yes. A lot of those uh, interviews, I see that people, you know, cite your, uh, like, cite Kanzenshu, Daisenshu, and the other, other sources and take his answers really seriously when there are uh, instances of him obviously not being serious,
1: you know? Yeah, there's definitely that, and there's also, I think maybe we need to do a better job of this. Uh, people will quote things from 15 years ago as if it was said yesterday. Uh, and again, that's something we're really invested in, is giving you the historical context on things. Uh, so we're, we're really deliberate in listing the publication, listing the release date on something like that. And if we're posting something that is old, uh, we want to let you know that this is not something new. This is actually older, and here's where it comes from.
0: But I do love the fact that about with Toriyama, the fact is though, he can look at Bardock, he can look at Broly, and he goes, like, yeah, those guys did really, really well. I wanna have a go at that. Like, you know, yeah, you know, uh, I just love the fact I just I I envisage that with the Broly movie, Takal Koyama is basically crying himself to sleep at night. It's like, <laughs> my boy Broly, what has happened? He's too much of a good boy. He's meant to be absolute strength. It's like, no, sorry, we get that in Jiren now, thank you very much. I do appreciate and I do respect Takao Koyama, basically channeling his nine-year-old boy and going like, I want to create a guy whose power was maximum. At least somebody was having fun with that. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) a couple of my favorite uh, bits of trivia. The first one I know definitely (laughs) is finding out that Dragon Ball wasn't all that popular because yeah, obviously it had gone through a couple of inter- iterations before like uh, the adventures on Tong Poo, uh, uh Dragon Boy like it gone through a couple of modifications before Toriyama was uh gonna be going through and go like okay let's try this thing and I've actually been like going back through Dr. Slump and uh I've been seeing a couple of my friends like Geekdom and stuff like that going through and then just realizing Toriyama really likes to big up himself in Dr. Slump like mm-hmm. Yeah, the only person more attractive than me is Toriyama and stuff like that. You feel like, okay, this is twenty. Yeah, Toriyama in his twenties and he's having fun. That's great, but it's also really interesting him actually finally having to actually listen to his editors more, because with Dr. Sump, you feel like, okay, it's popular, it's around about time of the early 80s, that kind of format is kind of really finding its niche, that slice of life motif, like the time around it to when Rumiko Takahashi with Urusa Yatsura, now seeing him going, okay, we're now going full Shonen, so Toriyama's having to modify it, and what you get is Goku acting like a persona character in that he doesn't really have a personality, other than being a carefree boy. And the story is built around the characters around them. So when I read that interview and all that information, that just opened my mind. I was thinking, really? There was a time where Dragon Ball wasn't an actual hit right from the start? And if it weren't for Krillin, then essentially, then that's it? You just think it could have been done. It could have been done really, terribly quickly. And now that I actually saw the anime version of it, you feel like, yeah, OK, this does feel like a bit more of like an adventure anime. And yeah, it, it was it was really tricky to master, but they did pull it off. And that leads me into the second bit of trivia that I is my favorite It's people going into GT. Yeah, man, we want to rec- recreate that Dragon Ball magic, that mystical adventure. That is going to be great. And then by the time they get to the third episode, it ain't working. Ah, <laughs> we're missing a trick here. And um, so basically they then go about, okay, what what made Dragon Ball Z popular? Okay, let's go with Baby. It could have died a death within like 13, 26 episodes. So those couple of things about that and how hard it was for GT to actually get it right... Yeah, that blew my that blew my mind, man.
2: But I think uh, we both can agree that one of the best moments is uh, something we call earthworm krill. Yes, when basically Toriyama admitted that oh, Krillan doesn't have a nose; he br- he breathes through skin. And I don't know what I like uh, the, the most: the sheer absurd of that, or people taking that super seriously.
0: That that moment when uh, you presented that initial brief to me, and then I looked at the everything I'm thinking. That's either inspirational and makes a lot of sense, because at least it's based in biology in some way, but then you just think, hang on, Toriyama, are you just getting to basically, you're just rattling through the questions so you can go home, or if it's done remotely, that they just stop bothering you? I think it's a little of both. I mean, if he actually thought it through, it's an inspired answer. But yeah, Earthworm, Krill... Is now our thing. He admits himself,
2: and that's that's I think one of the my favorite thing about to reading about is how much you know how much more connected is the fan base to actual lore of the world than Toriyama himself. I'm I, f- I feel that the older he is, the more he seems to care, and the more he seems to set it up before uh, somebody else do it. Like you know, I had just the idea for this guy and this other guy and. I didn't thought what to do with them. And that's
0: how, that's how they happened. not <laughs> okay, is completely right, because you feel like nowadays his answers are a little bit more measured. Like, they feel like, okay, he's actually going back and maybe wanting to tie up loose ends before he might probably retire, pass on the reins more to Toriotaro, who, incidentally, in the manga, we do talk about the manga sometimes, Mike, and... Uh, One thing we're absolutely loving right now, and spoilers, by the way, if you've been reading the manga, is that Moro is actually really pressing Goku's buttons in a way that the Saiyan doesn't like. Would you agree with that, Mike, Uh, you know, from
2: editorial point of view, that that he seems to be more... When he says something, he says something more to a point rather than, you know, doing his usual... Just think.
1: Well, I, I think what you'll notice is uh and we have a few of these translations up on the site <laughs> content.com. Uh what what happened around 2008-2009 was very critical for Toriyama. Uh, we know, obviously, Dragon Ball Evolution happened. Um, what what actually was also happening in Japan at the time was Bandai approached uh, Shueisha and Toei. They wanted to do a new series, and they couldn't get Toriyama on board. He had no interest at the time. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Torishima. Um, it was Torishima, Kazuhiko Torishima, who suggested, well, let's just mine the old content and we'll come up with Dragon Ball Kai. And what happened... As time went on, as all these other folks were starting to develop Dragon Ball at that point. You did have Bandai working on Dragon Ball Heroes, uh, and you, you did have a completely separate staff. You had Tadayoshi Yamamuro doing the character designs for Battle of Gods. You had a completely separate script writer, Yusuke Watanabe, writing Battle of Gods. And Toriyama got brought in and said, no, no, hold up, hold up this is not Dragon Ball. Uh, and, and it kind of started there and following Dragon Ball Evolution, where he said, they didn't really listen to me. And he really came back around on Dragon Ball. Again, he's done this a, a few times uh, in history. For example, when the Bond were coming out in Japan, the the red, the condensed down to 34 volumes, uh, higher paper quality. He reread the the manga then for the first time, I think since it ended uh, and did the new cover art. And so now again, uh, 2009 era, Toriyama's coming to it, 2013 especially uh 2012 into 2013 for Battle of Gods and he's saying look I am the author this is my series what I say goes now, and and I'll I'll take your ideas, but it's going to have the Toriyama craft on it instead of what everyone else is doing. And so, yeah, when when he's asked about in-universe things, you know, we do get the the silly answers, but I think we also get a more uh, a more focused Toriyama, um, a, a Toriyama who really feels some respect for his own work and some some love for his own work in there.
0: No, that's that's That's
2: a really good answer, Mike, so yeah thanks for that uh, see that's the good the one good thing that came from dragon
0: Ball evolution yeah that, that is one thing that basically you know that sheer defiance after being ignored because you feel like when the writer of the screenplay basically apologizes for how bad it was, you know something was bad immediately. I think this is a really good way to kind of round up the mini topic, so now we're going to be going to something like delving back into the history books for those of you who may not necessarily know the time when dragon Ball may not have just been as abundant as it were. So let's head over to the main topic. (music) Our maxi topic today concerns Dragon Ball debuts in our respective countries, because in a very interesting and not surprisingly rare situation, we're all from different territories. I- d- this is, you know, n- no means to like, you know, try and make you feel like, you know, any older because I do feel that way sometimes with all these whippersnappers, you know. You get your AJ's and your Trevs that are in their early 20s and you feel like, "Oh, you, you pesky kids." You know, it it shocks people when I tell them I'm like 33.
1: "No, <laughs> you're so young and adorable." <laughs>
0: Don't worry. That's absolutely fine because like I get that from my wife. I get that from her. She's, like, "You're nearly 34 this year. You're old." And I'm like, Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) So don't worry, I hear you, man. But uh, I I think I'll start this thing off since uh, in the UK, we basically got Dragon Ball on Cartoon Network in the year 2000. I mean, I think there were attempts to bring Dragon Ball into the UK, but they weren't really that pronounced. And it was pretty much, you know, in keeping when Funimation you know, took over the reins and did everything in house, you know, basically bringing in the shemmels, the sabots, and stuff like that. And you had some really interesting adverts for it that really tried to elude that Dragon Ball Z was nothing like you'd ever seen before, because I'd only started to, at the age of 13, understand what anime was and be you know, googly eyed in front of Sailor Moon when that came out on Fox Kids in like 1998. So it was just like, whoa, like, and not gonna lie, having a crush on Jupiter when I was like twelve, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Every, everybody I knew had a crush on on Sailor Jupiter. Like, seriously, that no, no, no question there. Now, Dragon Ball Z in the UK came out about two thousand. It was sure enough, their advertising campaign did work. It was nothing like I'd seen before. It was just this weird thing of like having the pioneer dub, like the original Blue Ocean. And having this cast, and then it suddenly changes. Cause our wait between um episode 53 and 54, we had maybe waiting about like a few months, nowhere near as much as you guys in America would have had to wait. You know, we'll get to that in a second, Mike. But we we had to wait a little bit, but nowhere near as long. But just hearing the difference, it was just very jarring. And then I think we got to that weird place that by the time you get to the boo saga, it kind of goes in between the ocean dub and the Funimation dub every 20 episodes or so. So, like, sometimes you would get, oh, yes, you get the Chris Sabbath Vegeta. And then not too long ago, you get the Brian Drummond Vegeta. It was a very j- disjointed situation. But there was one ad campaign that I really remember very well. And it was for the Cell, uh, beginning of the Cell saga. And it was like this guy running around this deserted city, basically talking about this maniacal bug that has descended upon them. But goes, but what's this? There are heroes coming from the four corners of the earth, you know, just like bring up. They are here to save us, you know, just this moment. And then just sh- just ending, just like, he is coming, just like that moment. And then imperfect cell, boom, cell saga coming soon. The ad campaign people from like Toon Army in the UK, very well done. And then suddenly when DBZ ended, we suddenly got, oh, okay, here, have Dragon Ball and have Dragon Ball GT at the same time. Wait, what? Sorry? Are we getting both? Okay, cool, nice. We had the internet, we had the wonders of dial-up internet, and basically listening to uh, the uh, DBZ AMV of Enfuego Fuego 20 times over, because that was the... That was the hotness for a very long time back in 2002. There was one Vegeta AMV I really remember, and it was from Metallica's Die My Darling. Just like this, you know, just hearing Vegeta go, Don't utter a singular word! Just like, just this metal as hell AMV. And then there was, then then on the other side, you get this, like, AMV of uh, of Blink-182's Adam song to this, like, you know, angsty Vegeta. You know, and just like that moment when, the, when the, the scream drops right at the end of the song it's when he had his arm broken by 18. You start off on Cartoon Network, and then when you get broadband internet, go, go nuts. Go and find all this different stuff. When you find the uncensored and the old, like, subbed versions of the Boo saga, what you're missing out on, and how uncut it is, and it really, like, just seeing that moment when, like, Trunks just blasts Freezer into pieces, we didn't get that, obviously. So seeing that actually uncut... That, wow. Okay, that was like I think the only time Super ever did that was basically, and it did it better than Resurrection F was. Then Frieza just blows up the planet, and you just see like you know Videl and Pan white out, Doctor Briefs, and yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, Mrs. Briefs. Boom, gone. You think, wow. Okay, you suddenly went dark there. Okay, I thought this was a Sunday morning cartoon in the UK. It was a very, very I don't I don't want to say too messy, but. It was definitely something unexpected, I'd say.
1: Oh man. So my story is, uh, so I'm going to date myself. It was September, 1996. I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I had a friend who said, I just saw the coolest cartoon. You should check it out next week. And what I tuned into the following week was episode two of Funimation's original syndication broadcast, uh, dub of Dragon Ball Z right there on American television there on the weekend. It was probably 6 30 AM on my local affiliate station and it was just love at first sight. Uh, I, I kind of pieced together all all the puzzle pieces that I had been seeing in all my video game magazines. Like, oh, these are all the ads in the back. Oh, these are all the video games that I seem drawn to. Oh, oh, I, I'm an anime fan. Got it. Got it. <laughs> it.
0: It's exactly the same as with me. You know, you feel like, yeah, no, sure. My brother had introduced me to like things like Project Aco and like Ghost in the Shell and stuff like that. But you know, that wasn't really meant for me. It was like all these really dark, oh, Fatal Fury and Fatal Fury 2 and then the movie, you know. I'm just picturing you watching
1: Project Aiko having no knowledge of anime at all. <laughs>
0: That's great. And then just
1: suddenly Biko
0: just suddenly doing this baseball gag. It'll be our very own Super Bowl. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. But anyway, you need to watch Project ACO, but sorry, Mike. I digress. Continue.
1: <laughs> so, that I mean, that's basically my story. I, I fell in love at first sight when I saw it there. Um, I got my first uh, internet-connected computer. We did not have broadband yet uh, in 1997. And then by January 1998, I was already uh, working on my website, making links to other sites. Uh, I was following all the big fan sites of the day. I felt like there was nothing I could contribute. They already did everything. Uh, everything that you needed to know about Dragon Ball was already online in 1998 because Dragon Ball was over. Dragon Ball GT ended. Uh, was it that November? There in 1997, um, the series was over. Everything was documented. All the episodes, all the CDs, everything you wanted to know it was done. So I said, I'm just going to link to everyone else. I'm going to be the central resource to to find the best sites. And then you know it was starting um, to really pick up over here in America. There in um, from '96 to '98. That syndication broadcast, this is something that people who who listen to me have probably heard me go on too much about recently, but I feel like there's a bit of revisionist history going on. That Dragon Ball wasn't popular until it hit Cartoon Network uh, there later in 1998. Uh, Dragon Ball got an hour-long syndication weekend morning time block for a second season a year before Pokemon was on television here in America. Uh, It was a smash success. We had merchandise in all the stores Uh, just a couple weeks ago. We were digging out all of our boxes. We were trying to clean Konzenju headquarters East over here. Uh, we're digging out all of our old figures and fan subs. And I actually just uh, nailed up to the wall uh, the four figures I bought from the, the American version of the Super Battle Collection release. We had that all pre-Cartoon Network. And that's not to say that it didn't further explode in popularity uh, when it did move to Cartoon Network uh, in fall 1998 and then season three in fall 1999. Of course, it it gained more popularity. Dragon Ball was huge, though. I mean, it was already a phenomenon. I was in high school. I moved around a lot. Uh, All of my friend groups were met through Dragon Ball and video games. I mean, it was a thing. Uh, fan sub circuits in high school. I felt like we were, you know, sharing meth with each other in the in the hallways. It was really strange. Like, I got End of Ava. What do you got? Like, uh, I got Android Saga. All right, let's do this. It was it was a great time, man. I think
0: I got the tail end of it in a way, because I think I remember the first movie I got was my brother burning on the CD. Uh, again, borrowing. That's the right word. Uh, the first cool movie. So mm-hmm. movie five. So movie five was the first DVZ movie I'd ever watched, And still to this day, I have never watched second coming movie 10. Never watched it. Yeah. You're all right there.
1: <laughs>
0: Basically, Videl somehow dodging Broly is like Roshi somehow dodging Jiren. That's a disconnect. As much as I had a huge crush of Vidal back in 2003, I'm sorry, I just could not buy that. I don't know. There's a pretty good costume
1: change fake out in that movie. So I mean that was my story. Do you do you want to hear like the abbreviated version of how it actually started in America? Because I've got the whole thing, man. I would
0: say absolutely. For those people who may not remember or just had no clue about it right at the beginning. So do do give us like a, a like a you know cliff notes version of that if you can.
1: <laughs> sure. So there was a little company called Harmony Gold. Uh, you may know them as the. Uh draconian overlords preventing you from seeing Macross, uh, the owners of Robotech, uh, they tried with Dr. Slump and Dragon Ball here in America in the the late 80s. They did uh, five episodes of Dragon Ball, and they dubbed the first and third Dragon Ball movies into this kind of like pilot double feature that aired. Uh, they were trying to get pickup for it, and it just didn't work for whatever reason. Uh, and then years later, I mean, it felt like, I say it felt like I wasn't into it yet, Uh, but you know, six years at the time was was, may well has have been an eternity. Uh, A little company out of nowhere called Funimation forms in 1994, and somehow acquires a license to Dragon Ball. Uh, It really seemed at that time that some other anime company in America was going to get the license, but it turns out that Gen Fukunaga had an uncle somewhere uh, who may or may not be. Morishita, not entirely sure over there, but we think that's the connection. Uh, Funimation, this dinky nothing company with farms, I, I think they sold Farmland to form the company, uh, at least Daniel Kokenhauer there, uh, down in Texas gets Dragon Ball. And so they, they start working on the original TV series. Uh, I've got a great feature that I just recently put up on a, a version of that movie they did in 1994 that they um, actually f- were using the Harmony Gold names in For a while, and it seemed like they were hedging their bets on whether or not they were going to keep the Harmony Gold names or go with uh, slightly more faithful names, which they ended up doing. And then 1995, Funimation releases, yep, uh, first movie, Curse of the Blood Rubies, and then they end up doing the first 13 episodes of the Dragon Ball TV series. And they cite for a variety of reasons, a variety of factors. Um, They decided to change course. They were going to do a full 26 uh, going through the 21st Tenkei Chibudokai, but they changed their minds. And in 1996, uh, they turn over to Dragon Ball Z. And we got two seasons of Dragon Ball Z uh, airing in syndication. Uh, That's when they brought on Saban as their distributor. Saban, famous for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers already at this time. And so we get a first season of 26 episodes. It does really well. And we get a a second season taking us through 53 episodes, plus a three-part version of Dragon Ball Z Movie 3, The Tree of Might, um, that airs as its second season. It gets an hour-long block, as I mentioned before. This was huge. So we could look forward to getting up um, Saturday or Sunday morning and, and seeing an hour of Dragon Ball. And during this time in America, there was a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, there's a company over in uh, Hawaii. I, I think they're still around, Nippon Golden Network. They actually aired the entirety of the Dragon Ball series and uh, about the first hundred episodes of Dragon Ball Z uh, subtitled its original Japanese language subtitles uh, in English there. And those are very commonly traded on the fan sub circuit as fan subs. But it was actually a legit broadcast of the show. Then over here on cable, we had something called the International Channel. Uh, While Funimation's dub was going on, you could be getting your uh, Nippon Golden Network fan sub, so to speak. The International Channel broadcast the entirety of the Dragon Ball Z and then the next week into Dragon Ball GT uh, in raw Japanese. I think it was Sunday evenings. And we had Telemundo over here broadcasting the, the Mexican, the Spanish dub of Dragon Ball Z. I mean, Dragon Ball was everywhere during this time uh, and then things changed in 1998 saban went away funimation in a in kind of a tough pickle there they end up going it alone uh, all on their own down there in texas they bring in an all-new voice cast all new musical composer Uh, And and they go from there. Um, And that's where it's been ever since, in in the hands of Funimation. And as you mentioned over there in the UK, you got uh, an alternate dub kind of flipping back and forth, going back to the Ocean Studios cast. Uh, We had a lot of players over here. And that's not even mentioning things like uh, Pioneer, who did the home video distribution. Um, Ocean Studios, again, providing the voices. There were so many partners at the time. Uh, Everyone wanted a piece of the Dragon Ball puzzle uh, and and eventually uh, it turned into the success that it is today
0: it's really interesting to know that you know Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball wasn't just like oh it doesn't just suddenly come out of nowhere in 1998 yeah you know, it had been there for a few years beforehand so it's really good to know so have I really want to kind of like get your perspective on the continent to see because I know that in France in stuff like that you know France and Japan they have a strong animation connection. So I imagine they were pretty not far behind in terms of the dub, but you know, in Poland and basically in the European area, how was it for you when you found Dragon Ball? Was it like when it just came out or was it a while afterwards?
2: You know, like I think it was right around when it when it started because as I mentioned uh, on a few occasions before, like most of the anime we've got, we've got like Sailor Moon, like Yaiba, like stuff, stuff like this, you know like The Slayers, we got from either French or or Italian dub because they weren't very, you know, German or English uh, uh, translations of anime that we could, you know, that we could uh, polonize, at least according to, you know, at least according to the translation stuff. So Dragon Ball here started in the year... uh, 1998 and we actually started with you know the regular dragon ball so nobody was thinking oh dragon ball is a prequel to z you know no we started with the og dragon ball we i think we even had doctor slam before i have as i said some memories of that being close to the same time there's there's that there was that television called called rtl7 right now it has different name and it doesn't have Dragon Ball anymore, but like, I think they went through the entire series like three times over. In elementary school, like, we, like, I've been born in, uh, 1990, the year when, you know, after, uh, after communism in Poland ended, and we got so much stuff coming from the, from the West, coming from, coming from, uh, from East, first manga and anime stuff, you know, like this was relatively new. And I was like a first generation in my country that could experience a lot of the stuff, right? One important thing that, that you need to remember is that like many, many cartoons that were not, you know, English, that were harder to translate. They didn't have dub, but things called Lector, which essentially means that you have the foreign dub, in that case French. And you have a guy or a lady uh, reading over it, you know. So that's how we got Dragon Ball. And since our version of Dragon Ball was taken from the French, we had the French. We have the French dub, which caused some of my colleagues to think that Dragon Ball is a joint effort of Japan and France, which it wasn't, by the way. But you know, like like we as Eight-year-old children, we believe that, and since you know, since there was a ve- like a very uh, anti-manga and anime mood from from the adults, and church was like, oh, you know, we should Satan, Satan spawn, you know, every everything that's that's come from Japan is basically Satan spawn. Like some people were like, it's Japanese French, you know, which supposedly was what was supposed to make it better and make adults more accepting. Like we had our little, little struggles with our parents and our teachers with liking that stuff. Later on, it became a guilty pleasure because like some kids who quote unquote grew up from anime bullied those that still watched it. Even though there was time when everybody watched Dragon Ball. And that's how was it? Like through through school, like you know, everybody wanted to be Son because in 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 our version, Goku is called Son So if you said Son everybody knew who Son was. Later on, when people got older, they pretended that they didn't know what is it. Like everyone knew the story, but once they got older, oh, I don't remember the details. No, I don't know anything. And suddenly. Suddenly when Dragon Ball became a thing again, suddenly it seems that oh they remember everything perfectly when they become vintage and no you know and not shameful. I pasted the famous intro that we got all the way from uh, all from uh, Raditz all the way to the to Boo which which is horrendous. It's it, it's infamous and we mentioned it uh on a lot of occasions so that that that, that that's that's for Mike but that that's a trip. That's what's
0: a trope. As we said in last uh, last time's podcast with Nexus, by the way, if you haven't listened to that, it's a really fascinating look at the Dragon Ball fandom in the Americas. Um, basically, this this uh, theme is something that Haverlock on almost any occasion he can will link to me in some kind of context, and it, <laughs> and it makes
1: Raccoon
0: and it makes out to be a main bad guy. Just somehow, the majority of it is basically. Raccoon dunking on Gohan. It's nowhere near as like catchy as like the Canadian the the Canadian one of like Dragon Ball, the ultimate journey. I mean I dig that song. I actually kind of like it. It's fun. All
1: right. Can, can we all agree that What's My Destiny Dragon Ball from Italy is the best international, you know, change theme?
0: Also, Mazda the Canadian, one, we also had that in original Dragon, Dragon Ball. So we had that. And who can forget GT, the ocean GT, which is Don, but an extremely literal trying to save the world. <laughs> I, I dig it. Because like it's a desperate search all across the unit. Yeah, okay, I dig that. I dig I actually like that. And I it's funny because on the video that you can find it, I my comment from like eight years ago is right up at the top. And it go, like Moscow, what are you doing here? Like I go, I don't care what anyone says. I love this song. And I'm like, I still it's eight years now, it's 2020, I still stand by that. One of the funny things.
2: I wanted to, I wanted to mention is that I think, uh, like, at some point, let me, let me check it. I have my notes here. We actually had uh, our lecture on the Japanese app. So our first uh, confusion at this time was why does adult Goku sound like a kid? Because we didn't know about Nozawa. We didn't know about Nozawa at this point.
0: Oh yeah, of course. That's always the main quandary when everyone, anyone, any fan in the West yes. hears yeah, Masako and Nozawa for the first time. I'm like, I wasn't like them. I actually found it amazing and really impressive and that's why I'm known as Masako. That's why. Are you ever going to meet Nozawa? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I, I, I would never force myself upon that gem. Never, ever, ever. Like I would never go. Like oh, by the way, I also voice Goku. I'm like okay. no, I would never do that. I I will just gladly listen to her do a kamehameha in person. I just listen to her talk. That's all I want to do.
2: That's why. That's why you. Ha- that, that's why you have me. Oh, by the way, Miss Nozawa,
0: this guy. This guy is afraid to admit that he also uh, uh, voices. Goku. Tav is one of those people who will basically he'll be quietly in the room with you. He'll he'll just observe. And then just come in with a zinger and then retreat away again. Like he picks his moments, but they're always effective. They always get a good reaction. And, and then in, actually encourage me to come out of my shell. And then afterwards, when we head back and he goes like, well, mate, I told you so. But going back to our main topic, actually, the one story I really remember, and it's one of my favorite videos on the subject, is the Portuguese dub. I love how defiant the producers at Seek were about that dub. Mike, are you familiar with the Portuguese dub at all?
1: Uh, I've seen pieces of it, but absolutely feel free to refresh my memory here.
0: The Portuguese dub from the mainland of Portugal is like, we don't really care about the source material. We like this show. We're just going to throw in all of our in-jokes from the channel.
1: Oh, that's right. Is there also like random robot voices in there
0: too? Captain news sounds like someone from... Yeah, an operetta. Mama mia, nooo! Freezer just comes up, you know, almost like turns to the camera and says, By the way, kids, if you've been very good boys, you may watch to the end of the episode if it's past your bedtime. You know, the bit where you see Yakon for the first time, but Goku goes like... Oh my goodness, it's Miss Portugal 1997! (laughs) I applaud your bravado here. You get your times where you have censorship and stuff like that, and, you know, that's all very well and good, and it's a shame to see it. But when you basically have a network that's just going to go, we're going to just make this like we made it ourselves, and to hell with Japan about that. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. And how the fact it got me to actually talk to Joao Loy, who is the Japanese Vegeta, or who was for the very longest time up until the Broly movie. That was surreal. Actually, suddenly seeing my metrics in Portugal double overnight. Portuguese Vegeta, not Japanese Vegeta. (laughs) Sorry about that. Okay, but incidentally, I did get to meet Ryo Horikawa um, at AkumaCon. You know, wearing a turtleneck, it it was quite cold. It was January, but he looked like a proper thespian. And then he just bursts out into song singing Senseiya. I remember I was introducing myself. I was like, hi guys, I'm Master Coex from Dragon Ball Z at Bridge Team Force. He's in the corner, his arms crossed, just like sly grin, nodding his head. I'm like, how much does he know? Hopefully he knows nothing. Everything. He knows everything. Just all these different associations and how these different countries react to Dragon Ball is just so. I find it really interesting. I love making videos about all these different topics. And again, have Mike, it's really nice to hear all these different perspectives. And I think this has actually really made this topic really flow quite nicely and actually made it. So my initial prediction that this would be shorter than the mini topic, thankfully they've not come true. So again, I would say in the comments below or in a review, if you can, if you can rate this episode, let us know where you come from and how Dragon Ball was introduced in your country. So with that, Let's bring down the mood. Mike, has there been anything that you've been catching up with Dragon Ball recently? Have you been keeping up with the manga and, uh, of course, uh, the very confused child that is Super Dragon Ball
1: Heroes? (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes, I, I read everything. I watch everything. I consume everything. Uh, I don't necessarily have thoughts on everything. Uh, I, I think, you know, if you're a listener of Consent Shoes Podcast. Uh, I really like to approach things as a complete whole. Um, ARCs as a whole is the way I like to review things. The Galactic Patrol Prisoner ARC has been going for a while now. <laughs> I kind of expected it, it to be over, um, so we haven't had a chance to review it yet, but I, I'm very much um, excited to do so because uh, it's my favorite thing that there's been uh, in quite some time. Um, Probably take a little bit of um, slack for this, but I wasn't the biggest fan of the broly film um and the galactic patrol prisoner arc is kind of everything that i'm looking for in the dragon ball story it's got the the character beats that i'm looking for uh i love the the setting uh, i'm enjoying some of the extra characters there uh, I'm, I'm just a real big fan of the galactic patrol uh, everything um going back to sachi chan and gia from toriyama and katsura there um the Galactic Patrol is one of my big documentation projects right now. So I'm very, very much invested in it. Uh, so I think that's, I, I am the biased when it comes to this arc here. Uh, I think that's coloring my view on it a little bit. Um not afraid to admit that, but um, I, I think that's kind of where I fall. And Heroes, I mean, Heroes is what it is. It's been going for over a decade at this point. The promotional anime is literally action figures slamming into each other with no animation. I mean, it, it just is what it is. Like, I, how, how can you even have thoughts? on that. It's kind of how I feel.
0: I just feel like with Cumber, they were missing a trick there. If they just made that a beefed up, possessed Raditz, that would have been so much more engaging. But Raditz is not using anything. It's like your association with the Dead Zone, Mike. I'm anything, (laughs) anything to do with Raditz. Like, seriously. Anything to do. That's why I do Dragon Ball R&R. That's why I do it. To give that boy some recognition. I will say that Lags in Super Dragon Ball Heroes is probably one of the most interesting characters in that franchise because, Crystal powers. She has a crystal dragon. Can you imagine a Super Dragon Ball hero basically got a crystal dragon versus Goku Super Saiyan three Dragon Fist? Crystal dragon, Super Dragon Fist. Two mystical key based dragons punching each other, connecting. That would sell a lot of a lot of things. But no, Hearts is just going like, no, no, you're too good. You almost killed Goku. G- go to Universe three. So um, let me carry on with me being Dio and stuff like that.
1: Takehito Koyasu is one of the holdouts we've had uh, for the longest time not having a role in Dragon Ball. And you know what? If it's got to be Hearts, so be it. We finally have Koyasu.
0: Hearts' character, he was so bland. But as soon, When he was about to die, he went like, M- my my motive was to basically take down Zeno. And I'm like, he is a menace. And you feel like, why didn't you say that earlier? We could have gotten <laughs> behind that. It w- we would have almost had a connection with Thanos. It'd have Wait a minute! This guy has a point. Zeno's a jerk. Like seriously, anarchic and very, very right for Dragon Ball. It fits perfectly with the likes of Toribot, who's even higher than Zeno. Hearts. If he had set his motivation earlier, despite all the crystals and the universal conflict things, and all these weird things, and Kami Oren, who's basically a toothpaste baby in some way, this could have been done better. But oh well.
1: Again, re- remember, it exists to sell you cards that you can't buy and an arcade game that you can't play. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, they
0: only know Super Dragon Ball Heroes for uh, seeing that one clip on YouTube of Trunks going Super Saiyan 3. Right, right. And that's it. That's the one thing they remember from back in 2010. The uh, Super Dragon Ball Heroes is its his own thing. I don't really talk about it on the channel anymore because it just, like, I'm so jaded by it. But you know, have you were going to say something? Yeah, I was about to say that we have now doc- Dr. W.
2: I wonder who he
0: is. We have no idea. Yes. Yes, Dr. W. And everyone's going like, who is it, guys? It's the brand new character. No, it's not. It- it's Dr. Wheelow. It's Dr. Wheelow with his body. No, this isn't a mystery. It's a Doctor. It's a very good-looking character, and it's like, oh, hey, cool, you're doing a Doctor Light impression. Now, Haverock and I, we're looking back through GT a lot, and we, we appreciate GT more and more as we get older, but they had a weird fascination for mad, maniacal Doctors. Like, you get Doctor Mew, you got Doctor Lightsheet in a way with Plan to Eradicate the Saiyans, you got Doctor Shiro coming back in. Enough of the Doctors, guys. You're right, Mike. It, you know, Super Dragon Ball Heroes don't take it seriously. But I think a lot of people right now, because it's the only animated thing that we have right now, it's something that we're clinging on to. What it really does bring to mind, especially after seeing Shintani and crew doing a great job in helping bring Dragon Ball into the modern age with the Brawly movie, you then look at Super Dragon Ball Heroes and what Tadayoshi Yamamura is now doing, willingly admitting that he doesn't watch other anime, you feel like Wow, I'm seeing the same angle many, many times over again. The, that slow, high-angle pan up of a brand new
1: character. That got punched, Vegeta holding his arm. Yeah, I know, we've we've seen them all.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, 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 it really hammers it home in a way, and it just feels like, hmm, yeah, okay.
1: Dragon Ball is, and forever will be, and was from the start- pencil and paper, and I I think you really, if you haven't, you you really owe it to yourself. Go back and read the original Dragon Ball manga chapter 1 to chapter 519 as a complete product to see what Toriyama came up with. Flying by the seat of his pants week to week, delivering his he didn't even do storyboards. He delivered the final product, you know, late, very, very consistently. To see what he could do in that medium, I think that's really, really important to your fandom. And if you have done that, well you Maybe you haven't read Dr. Slump, and I think you owe it to yourself to go back and do that because you want to talk about spy robots, you want to talk about a Majin villain, you want to talk about evil scientists creating uh, androids and cyborgs. That's all from Dr. Slump. <laughs> like Toriyama is just repeating himself in every product over and over. Dragon Ball is a story of a boy and a girl. There are also, you mentioned earlier, Tong uh, Tongpu and Dragon Boy, two prototypes leading up to Dragon Ball, a story about a boy and a girl. You look things that came after that. Uh, I love his one shot, Kintoki. Uh, it's a story about a boy and a girl. Uh, Kajika is not necessarily about a boy and a girl, and it kind of is a little bit. You get some a little group in there as well. It's more about a fox boy and a spirit, <laughs> but just you really owe it to yourself. Check out Toriyama's other works, and none of them are going to be at the grand scale of Dragon Ball, but I think you will learn new things about Dragon Ball and appreciate it in new ways, if not different ways, By doing that,
0: yeah, no, I think that's 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 a really good way of putting it, and it's never been easier to get to see the Dragon Ball manga, because you've got Viz's Shonen Jump
1: service online. It's two bucks a month. Read all of Dragon Ball. Read all of Dr. Slump. Jocko's on there. I mean, just just go, go hog wild. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And you can keep up with Super. And this isn't sponsored, by the way. It's just that's how I read the Super manga for the reviews and stuff like that. And heck, like the, the box sets of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z's manga, they are dirt cheap for what you get. I've been able to get all of them, again, in one go, For about maybe just over 100 quid. So maybe about 120 bucks for all 42 volumes in two collector's cases. If you're like, that's a good deal. Have at it. And I bet
1: when Dragon Ball Super's manga ends, there'll be a set for that too. I'm a fan of other anime. I'm a fan of other manga. There is something about Toriyama and specifically Dragon Ball that era which is a long era, (laughs) spanning a decade. But the way he doesn't do shading, like it's either black or it's white on the page. Everything is so clean. His compositions. I'm not an artist. Uh, I I really struggle reading a lot of other stuff, Uh, even One Piece. I I love Oda. I love his writing style. I I just think it's too busy on the page. Uh, I was such a big fan of the Trigun television series. I tried reading the Trigun manga. I found it incomprehensible. There's something about the way that Toriyama draws and composes things on the page, it flows, it makes sense. It's it's logical. It just like, it, you're not even reading. You're just kind of like absorbing the page through all of your senses, even smell, because the books smell. <laughs> Especially if you're in my basement and you're looking at magazines from the 1980s, you get a really distinct smell to it down here. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, of
0: course. The classic, you know, 70s, 80s, musty textbook smell.
1: Just like that period. It's like a fine wine. Just yeah. A really, really dark earthy red wine with a, with hint of musk, nostalgic dust. That's the way, way
0: I say it. It's just like, ah, oh, yeah, that takes me back to school in a way.
1: Oh, uh, oh, yep. so that I don't know. That's my point. That's my recommendation. Um, go back and read all the Dragon Ball manga, read all of Dr. Slump, read everything else you can. I wish Viz would release more. I know Carlson over there. Um, do they do the the german releases uh some other companies over there have released things like uh kajika i think is out over there I, i'm pining for a legitimate release of Kajiga over here. Uh, I know we've got Sand Land over here in America. Uh, Kawa or Koa, however you're, you're reading the Kana there, uh, that's been released. Jocko, you have to read Jocko. I know a lot of Dragon Ball fans like know it exists and that, oh yeah, he's in Super. Oh my God, read Jocko the Galactic Patrolman. It is... Independent of the fact that it is an actual prequel, uh, not like Dragon Ball is a, a non-prequel to Z. Jocko is a true prequel to Dragon Ball. It's like the epitome of Toriyama. It's that dry humor. There's this scene. I think it's in chapter five of Jocko. This is like, oh, this is Toriyama humor, and it's not even funny. As just Jocko looks and he's like, "I know what you are. You're is it like you're you're a girl and a dog?" And they're like, "Yeah." It's not even funny, but I find that so hysterical. Like, that's just Toriyama's writing style. It's so dry, and it's not random for randomness's sake. I don't know. Go read Jaco, please read Jaco. Yeah, no,
0: I, I made I made sure when I found it on Amazon to get a copy, so I do plan to sit down and read it. Now that we we got a, recently got a puppy, so when I'm like guard, you know, on guarding duty, so I'll just catch up on Jaco while I'm re, you know just making sure puppy doesn't try to chew chair legs or anything like that. Well yeah so I think we're pretty much good to like be wrapping things up for today's episode. Once again Mike I really Thank you for joining us today. It's been really insightful as well as just really kind of immersing ourselves in Dragon Ball.
1: It's been far too long. I always enjoy our chats and uh, I would love to chat more, whether that's uh, your show, my show. Uh, I, I just love talking Dragon Ball. I love talking history. Uh, I love sharing the things that I've learned in collaboration with uh, my other friends, my comrades, my colleagues at Uh Can I talk about KonZenshu just real briefly here?
0: Well, basically, this is the time, this is the time and place
1: for us for signing off, basically, for you to plug away. So, perfect. I would love to. So, it Consensu is a website. I'm not sure if the kids today know what websites are. It's not uh the way I phrase it. Is Consensu is not a podcast, Consensu is not a forum, Consensu is not a wiki. Uh it is a website that has or will soon have <laughs> all of those things. Um it, it dates back like you mentioned to I started a little links page in January 1998. Uh and I have made some very very important and dear friends along the way. Um what you see now when you go to com is multiple decades of hard work dedication and love from a small group of friends who do it because we love doing what we do konzenshu is not our job Uh, no one is paid to work on konzenshu no one makes any money from konzenshu we do it because we love dragon ball and we love what toriyama has made we don't always agree with everything that has been made we don't necessarily like everything that has been made but we are extremely invested in sharing everything that we know um, to the best of our ability uh, as professionally as possible. So I would love if, if you've never heard of Consenshi, you, you don't know where to begin, just go to that website. Just start clicking around. Uh, we have guides. You can listen to the podcast. You can um, join on the forum and chat with other people. Um, it is At this point, it really has become my life's work, and I'm so proud to work with um, the friends that I do on on that, And uh, we're looking to expand. You mentioned I, I do want to make a, a clear delineation. Wikia is a, a very specific thing owned by the the fandom website corporation. We are making a wiki, which is it's just a, a type of technology um, and it's going to be a part of the website we just want to document everything because we have everything we have the ability to do so uh, and i'm not going to be here forever my intent is to keep working as long as i live um but we're lo- we're really looking to build something that will um outlast our own lifetimes um that's consenchu
0: here up on the lookout we hope to really do our bit there as well as what we've been doing on the master Co-X channel i mean haverock and i can certainly attest to that we really are trying to do our bit to present it in like in a more kind of like laid back situation, but it just means with all these different outlets for all of this information, it means there's something for everyone at whatever kind of approach they wish to take. So it's always good to have options, certainly.
2: And on the other hand, you always want to use, you know, trustworthy sources, which Consensual is definitely.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, and that's not me just saying that because one of the head honchos is here. That's me actually saying it genuinely. (laughs) But yeah, no, once again, Mike, thank you for joining us here today, and thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And if you are enjoying what you have heard, then you can either rate and review on your respective podcasting platforms, or you can basically become a caretaker on The Lookout. Mr. Popo will give you all the information that you need, just don't break his stuff, by going to lookout and you'll be able to contribute in your own simple way once again thank you all so much for listening and until the next time everyone we do hope you're safe out there and we hope to hear you and see from you again ta-ra